Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, we're bringing you part two of my conversation with Judith Kaysen Windsor. Judith first met Edie Windsor in 2010 at an LGBTQ event. Their encounters over the years led to conversations that led to romance and eventually marriage. Windsor was the lead plaintiff in the 2013 Supreme Court case which overturned Section 3 of the Defense of Marriage Act and was considered a landmark legal victory for the same-sex marriage movement in the United States. Kaysen was also an LGBT activist and very involved in the New York LGBTQ community. Longevity is not an indicator of intensity. Although Windsor died in 2017, just a year after their marriage, theirs was a relationship filled with love. Windsor was working on her memoir at the time of her death. That memoir, A Wild and Precious Life, was relieved on October 8th. Since Edie's death, Judith has been traveling, continuing Edie Windsor's legacy. But most of all, she's talking about her most favorite topic, the love of her life, Edie Windsor. Today, we continue our conversation from last week here on Collections by Michelle Brown. And it, and it changed the trajectory of her life that, you yes. know, you there wouldn't be you and, and Edie if it hadn't been Edie and Thea. Correct. Correct. You know, she just did things. She just, she just sort of just flowed through life. And, you know, I remember, like, you know, being at the courthouse and getting married, whatever. I mean, and I, unfortunately, my friend videotaped the whole thing, so we have it. But, um, you know, you know, to stand her, you know, we have pictures where, like, we're literally signing the paperwork. And, you know, both of us kind of just stopped and watched Edie sign that piece of paper. And we're like, oh, my God, for Edie Windsor to be able to sign that piece of paper? Uh-huh. Do you know what that meant to her? Uh-huh. I mean, it was... I had so many moments that were just, just so inspiring, and then everything that came out of her mouth. And you can ask anybody who talked to her in New York or whatever; they, we all feel the same way. Everything that came out of her mouth was like jaw dropping. Uh-huh. <laughs> she just had; she was just so articulate and just so wise and so fair minded and just so 
open and just she was just I mean, you know, she you know, you look at her and like there's other people who've done Supreme Court cases who don't have this kind of notoriety that she did. She was uh-huh. she trajected herself just by being her, trajected herself into being the icon that she became. Uh-huh. Because she was just such an amazing human being. Uh, and, you know, and, and that, like, I guess that part of that was almost like seeing her sign those papers uh, was another one of those bittersweet moments, you know, that she yeah. had to, to go through all of this, but she did it. And, and now here you two were able to sign that paper. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, there was, there was, you know, just so many moments. But, you know, I don't go into it too much in the book, but also she carried those fears, you know, from the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. And, you know, she carried a lot of those fears because, like, sometimes I'd come home from work and I'd grab her and I'd kiss her and whatever. And if the blinds were open, she'd go, stop Uh it, stop stop it, you know, Uh and put down the blinds. Uh And I'd be like, Dee I mean, especially if, if you saw where we live, like, you know, there's, like, brownstone so there it's a couple of blocks before like there's a building that would sort of hit our floor and i'm like edie literally somebody would have to have a telescope directly (laughs) into our living room window at like you know and stalk us from like you know 545 to 615 every day you know to see us just kissing and she's like no stop stop it i mean she she carried those fears her entire life and, you know, and that's important because, you know, there are a lot of people of that generation. I was at a yeah. a dinner, and there was a couple who had been together, like they've been together like, like yeah. 40 years. And when they, and it's okay now, and they were at a thing, but when they talked about their partner, they said, well, my friend. And they, she yeah. said, well, I guess I can say my partner now. But all yeah. those years mm-hmm. of, of living in fear, it's still there for so many I mean, but, but I think that some of the younger people who might take it for granted, that, you know, that they can just go and get married, they can have destination weddings, they can get divorced, but mm-hmm. they don't understand, you know, taking for granted the privilege that they have and how it could be snatched away. Right. Yeah. And, and they, don't, they don't understand it. You know, and I do things like, you know, I walk around, you know, I live downtown, and Stonewall's very close to me, and I was over on 7th Avenue doing something, and I was walking back, and I saw these two young girls, and they were, like, you know, trying to get a selfie in front of Stonewall, and whatever, mm. and I, and I kind of stopped, and I said, hey, do you want me to take your picture? And they're like, oh, would you? That'd be really nice. Would you do that? And I said, sure. And then I started talking, you know, I just was like, hey, are you two, you know, and they told me they were, like, from Texas or somewhere, and I said, are you two married? And they said, yes. And I said, oh, I said, do you know who Edie Windsor is? And they're like, no. Huh. And, I said, I'm like, and I go, well, <laughs> I said, you know, I said, you know, you should. I said, if you're, especially if you're married, I said, Edie Windsor was the woman who took down the defense of marriage. I, I go into my, you know, two minute, you know, elevator speech of Edie mm-hmm, Windsor mm-hmm. and, um, you know, explain it to them. I go, you know, and that was only, you know, six years ago. And they're like, really? And I'm like, you know, yeah, it was just six years ago. I'm like, I go, how do you, you know, and, and in my head, you know, I say a lot of this in my head because I don't want to, like, blast them right there on this, but I'm always very, you know, I'm nice and whatever, and then I introduce myself, and they're like, oh, my God, wow, and I said, 
do me a favor. I said, when you get a chance, and now, now it's, you know, because I was out last night, and everybody I stopped to, I'm like, I'm like, have you bought the book yet? And they're like, oh, no, but I'm <laughs> going to, and whatever. I go, can't talk to you, not until you buy the, not until you buy the book. I said, I'll see, you, I'll, see you, I'll see you in a couple of weeks or at the next event or whatever. I said, can't talk to you until you read the book. And then one, one, one woman, I, I saw, she goes, I'm halfway through it. I go, I can talk to you. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean really, uh, yeah. And it's like, and everybody like loves the, just loves the book, just loves it. I intend to buy some copies. Like for, we have an LGBT center that um, is developing a library. We have a, another group that's making a place just for to put those books on there because you're not yes. going to learn it in school. I mean, you know, no. I mean, they're they're yeah. they're cutting out more and more of it. You're not going to learn it in school, but it's so important because it's such a rich book on so many levels about mm-hmm. not only LGBTQ history but American history and what this country has gone through to get to that point to where you have it. It's just like an amazing it's, 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 like you and I as women and you're mm-hmm. an African American what we have been through like mm-hmm. to, like I remember the day. Remember when you asked to, you said like put on a skirt with hose and go mm-hmm. to work and mm-hmm. heels and mm-hmm. the whole thing and like then you had to change your like tennis shoes when you got to work and I mean I don't even think about it. You know, women uh-huh. just don't even think about like everything we went through and it wasn't uh-huh. that long ago. Yeah, I know, and it was not that so long I, ago. No. But then also the part, but the point that you just made about the significance of Edie being able to put away $35,000 and bind it, but the fact that we still, women, uh-huh. we don't have uh, wage parity with men. And they still make more well, than we do. I mean, you know. In, in equal, I, mean, I mean, look what, like, the Williams sisters did with tennis and Billie Jean King uh-huh. did with tennis. Uh-huh. Tennis is one of the only sports that women are paid the same as men. Look at the women's soccer. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they travel, you know, and, and I, when they travel, you know, the men are in, like, this, you know, the upper floors, the penthouse suite, all this other stuff. That women's soccer team travels, there's four of them in a room and two queen-size beds. That's how they, I, I, have, I have some friends who are on the, what's the women's basketball team, the women, um, New York Liberty. I have uh-huh. some friends who are, are, are on New York Liberty and, you know, they've since retired and whatever, and I've spoken to them, and they were telling me how they would have to travel. There were four of them in a room, and sometimes uh-huh. five. Uh-huh. And then I mean, you look at, like, the New York Knicks, and they're all, like, uh-huh. in penthouses and, you know, prostitutes brought to them and drugs. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, uh-huh. living, living the life. And the women are are crammed into a room together. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's just, and it's and crazy. you know, you, you think you think about the you know income inequality, and it's 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 maddening. It's it's uh-huh. that's that it's frustrating and it's maddening. Uh, it really is. You know, it's like like I said. You know, that's why I was telling people. I think it's it's um it's an important you know. Because you can learn from all different genres of books. Everything doesn't have to be a history book or this and that. But I think, like I said, it sort of gives you this 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 window into it. And I like the way because I mean, there'd be some part where I would be having my moment with Edie, and then at the end of the chapter, how uh, Jonathan would come in, he'd have you know, like would well, sort of like Joshua. I mean, whether he'd be giving yes. context to what was going on. Yes. And you know, mm-hmm. 
and that's what made it like, like here was this one part, just real how she was feeling, like during the war years, and the guys would all come over, and then there was anti-Semitism. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, so many things, and you go back and forth and back and forth about it. That that how great. I mean, I could see how hard it was for him to like, because he said, you know, to pick it up and go on. But how great that she had saved all of this stuff. But it gave context and made it so rich. How you how you talked about you know people calling their friend you know or a friend. Um, mm-hmm. I had some. Uh, there's an IBM archive and then there's an IBM uh, LGBTQ archive, and there's a, a guy who's retired from IBM and he ca- he emailed me one day and you know called me whatever. Anyway, he came over here. And I opened up Edie's file cabinet, and I said, here's a bunch of IBM stuff, and here's a bunch of IBM stuff. She, literally, she kept, like, all these. You know, we're talking about on a typewriter, you know, that, mm. you know, that, you know, that, mm-hmm. onion, that onion kind of paper. Mm-hmm. She kept all of that stuff. For, like, we, we have her, um, her application to IBM. We have, I mean, when I'm telling you this woman kept everything, and everything was organized and in a file. And he – and. He took all of this, he took like, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 inches of stuff from a file cabinet. And he's like, are you sure? I said, I trust you. You know, I trust Mm -hmm. that you're going to, you know, because he was looking for one thing in particular. In the early 70s, um, you could fill out, you know, you could fill out this form or whatever um, where, and this is what he was looking for. He was looking for this, this form that, you know, Edie put Thea down as her beneficiary. This is, this is before the 401k. So we're talking, uh-huh. you know, I think this was for insurance. You know, I think the company gave her insurance or something. And she put down Thea Spire. And I can't remember, I think she put down roommate. Uh-huh. I don't remember if she put down friend or, I think she put down roommate. Anyway, it's, it's like on a card. And in red pen, somebody wrote over the whole thing and said, denied. You can only give your your insurance benefit to a a family member or a spouse, and this is what this guy was looking for, and he and he found it, and he called me up. He goes, "You're not going to believe this." He goes, I, I, "I said I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised she has it." He goes, I, "He was like in tears. He was like, this is what I wanted. This is this is what I was looking for.' He goes, is it okay if I digitize it?'" I said, "Absolutely." Go ahead. And then he came back uh-huh. over and he brought everything back over, all neat and organized and then, you know, a nice file. And um, he was like, he, he was like, thank you so much. I said, it's fine. I said, this stuff needs to be shared. This it stuff needs, needs to be to shared. Be out there. You know, uh-huh. that, you know, what we all kind of, you know, what we went through. And, you know, another story, I, I, I do a million stories. Um, you know, like to tell you, I, I, I joke with people. I go, I swear to God, there should be an Edie Windsor Trivial Pursuit game, and I swear I'd win. <laughs> we talk about this all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when the, think about this. When Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act in 1996, Edie and Thea had been together with that diamond pin, and with that diamond pin, they considered themselves married. Like mm. Gay people did that in those days. They, mm-hmm. That level of commitment, just in name only, but they considered themselves married. So when the Defense of Marriage Act was signed in 1996, they were together for 30 years. Wow. That had to hurt. 
Mm-hmm. That had to hurt. And wow. Edie not and and eighty and Josh talks about it in the book how Edie sort of brushed by all the painful things mm-hmm. because Edie and I definitely talked about that one day and she was, she would just nod and, you know and say, maybe say a few words but she really the painful part she would just brush by and we were you know fortunately i went i went through all of her photo albums with her again all organized like you know 1948 through 1951 <laughs> 1951 through 1956 uh-huh. i mean she went through i mean all org everything is all organized it's like like nyu who's receiving her archive they're just like this is this is so great <laughs> like you know uh-huh. and like all of her speeches and anything she attended all had folders, and in the folder was her speech, any kind of, you know, the, the pamphlet, the, the email correspondence, all the, everything was in a folder, all organized in chronological order. Like NYU was just like, this could be a breeze. This is great. I know. Like, I bet they were happy with, you know, I can so tell you. So amazing. You know, um, when you were talking about that thing, um, with the defense of marriage, after, I know – this couple, okay, and uh-huh. in, in New York, Dr. Perry and her partner then was Dr. Uh, Antonia Pantoja, and Dr. And Pantoja won the, Bill Clinton gave her the Presidential Medal of Freedom at the time of the Defense of Marriage Act. And can you imagine here, I mean, the contradictions that we had at that time and, and history, you know, it's just like here you have couples who've been married, you know, and how far we've yeah. come now. I know. But it had to have been like a very painful time mm-hmm. and for that, for people who are, of that, who are alive then, who are living it and going through that, mm-hmm. you know? Well, well, you know, but I stop and think about this, too. You know, I live in New York, and New York is, uh-huh. you know, ev- like everybody knew Edie in New York. We couldn't go uh-huh. anywhere. And, you know, I... One of my favorite stories, we went to the grocery store, like on a Sunday or something, whenever we went, and um, we went to the grocery store, and Edie, we had a little cart or whatever, but she, you know, and she, you know, was walking away, and, and I was standing there at the credit card thing, and I was, I was paying, and the woman behind me, and I, I can't imagine that she was uh, gay, I think she was a straight woman, and she leans over to me, she goes, oh my God, she goes, I think that was Edie Windsor. And I turned to her, and, and you know, and um, you know, and I turned to her, and I go, I go, it was Edie Windsor. She goes, oh my God, she's my hero. I go, she's oh. my hero too. And I, and then you know, I just finished, and then I just walked out or whatever. And when I went outside, I told Edie the story, and she goes, you know, and it's like, you know, I mean, those kinds of things happened all the time. And then I also told the story at NYU. We went to uh, there's a old restaurant here it's called the knickerbocker and we went to, we went to, it was called the nick and we went to the nick one night and as we were walking out they they have these booths that are sort of like you know they're like a, a u-shape and they face into the restaurant and there were mm-hmm. these three gay guys sitting in one of these booths and as we walked out one of them you know was like oh my god that was edie windsor who just walked by <laughs> and i heard it but you know edie was like five or ten feet ahead of me so i heard it so i stopped and i go that was edie windsor do you want to meet her and they were like oh. you know they all like you know uh-huh. you know straightened up and like went backwards and was like what and i said do you want to meet her and they were like oh my god yes and 
I, you know, Edie like turned around and saw that I had stopped and I waved her back and I, mm-hmm. and, and she came back and she said, hello, you know, she, you know, hugged and kissed all of them, kissed her, you know, did her sweet thing that she does and whatever. And then there was a table behind us of like 10 or 12 people. And one of the people there was like, oh, that's Edie Windsor. And the next thing you know, I, you start hearing her name. The whole restaurant like stood up and started gave her a standing ovation. And then the oh. other half of the restaurant, they're all standing up and they're like, who's over there? Madonna? Beyond, like, who's <laughs> over there? You know? like, Bigger I than mean, Madonna. That, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of, that is the kind of thing. And, you know, we went to things where they were honoring other people, you know, like, like Kristen Chenoweth or Rosie O'Donnell mm-hmm. or whoever. And, and they mentioned Edie Windsor and like Rosie O'Donnell stood up and goes, where's Edie? Where's my Edie? Where is she? You know, like, like, Edie was always the most important person in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that is how, and, like, and I remember when we walked out of that restaurant after that standing ovation, it was a roar. And we walked out of there and we were with Edie's best friend, Karen, and her girlfriend. And we, and we stopped on the sidewalk and the three of us were like, we were like in awe. We were like, Edie, did you see what just happened? Like, you got this standing ovation, like, at this restaurant. And Edie was like, hmm, and just started walking. Like, she just, he took it all in stride. And it was just, it was fascinating to just, you know, witness all this and be with her and how she just, she just was so gracious and so humble about it. But, she, you know, We'd come home sometimes, she'd be like, you know, but she never said out loud, look at who I am. I deserve mm-hmm. to walk mm-hmm. in first or, you know, it's like she was never like that, never. Mm-hmm. She was always just so pleased because she was just so pleased at, at the changes that she made in people's lives. She knew how important she was to people. Mm-hmm. She, she knew because they told her all the time. I mean, people <laughs> told her all the time. You know, mm-hmm. you know, she knew she left this world a different place. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to break here. And okay. I want to talk a little bit more about the book and, and what it's been sure. like since it came out. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. One thing that I also liked about the book, Judith, was like you saw Edie and you saw the evolution of Edie from when she was a kid 
to uh-huh. I loved the line to where she would sit like at the end of the bar so she could see who was coming and going and that, you know, tell me your name. I'm Edie Winter. Uh, I'm going like, go ahead, girl. If I was out there, I'd use that line. I mean, you know, I mean, like you saw all aspects of her. You saw her as, you know, a human being, you know, which is what we all are. But you saw that, you saw that, that I cried. I'm not going to lie. I cried when her father died. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, because I've lost That's, my parents, but, but that was just like, I heard that, and it was just like, you felt it. And, you I know, know, and that wondering yeah, I, if I mother knew, knows. I knew the, yeah, I, I knew the story where her father had had a heart attack in her apartment, mm-hmm. but I didn't mm-hmm. know the other part of it. Mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was quite shaken when I, when mm-hmm. I read the rest of it. And you, and you know, and yeah. the part like with her mother, I mean, you know, there's so many things that were relatable, like with her mother and like, did her mother know and not, because I know that after like my, my, my mother had been like very um, inclusive and welcoming, but my father hadn't, but after my father died, that was like going through his things and finding things and realizing that, you know, he might not have ever said, acknowledged my, me. But there mm-hmm. were papers and things that I knew that he kept. And I could appreciate where Edie was talking about when after her mother died and she did that. I mean, there were, it's like she put such – it's so human, you know. I mean, you, you're right there with her. You go through, through everything, you know, that never reconciling really with her sister until her sister, you know, wouldn't have known, you know. And mm-hmm. her, her love for her brother, Blackie. And then also I also like to say how – the story wasn't done until she acknowledged you, not just, you know, like, oh, and by the way, my life's complete. Now I've got Judith. No, she talked about you. I mean, it really made it very, very human with all, as she said, warts and all. Yep. Yeah. You know, it was funny. When I, when I read that part, I said to mm-hmm. Josh, I go, Ugh. I go, it, 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 I was like, warts and all? And, I said, I don't like that, that sentence. He goes, Edie said that. I go, Edie said that? Like, that, that didn't sound like her. Like, you know, that, 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 I was surprised when, when he put that in quotations. He goes, no, Edie said that. I, I'm like, okay. Because, uh-huh. you know, Edie cursed a lot, but she was very eloquent in her language. So uh-huh. I was really surprised that she said warts and all. But she did. She put it out there. And, you know, that's where, you know, when I, when I give these talks and, and you want to talk about the book, we can go, you know, I want to talk to you about the name Windsor. You know, she chose mm-hmm. the name Windsor. Mm-hmm. And uh, what people don't know is, and, you know, and, and Josh didn't explain it, is like she didn't want the name Wiener for several mm-hmm. different reasons. Um, she, she was like, I'm not going to be <laughs> Wiener for starters. And two, uh-huh. she changed because she, Wiener sounded too Jewish. Mm-hmm. And she, she really, you know, even though she got married in those days, she really didn't want to, you know, have kids. And what, she wanted to work. And she mm-hmm. did not, th- and she used to say, she did not think she would be nearly as successful as she was at IBM with such a Jewish last name. I mean, and, so she, said, like and, mm-hmm. and she kept the name Windsor. And mm-hmm. Saul, after, after they uh, got divorced, you know, he went back to Wiener. Also, when they mm-hmm. changed their name, when they got married, Saul's father was furious. 
Mm. that he changed his name. But then he went back to Wiener, and then Saul got married about five or six years later to this woman, Muriel Wiener, and Edie was in contact with her. I'm in contact with her. I know her daughter's around my age. And when I went down to Philadelphia, when Philadelphia did the street naming after her, Muriel Wiener was there. Liz Wiener was there. One of her daughters was there. I think the other one's off in college. Like, I, you know, we have a relationship with them. And I spoke to them about the book, and Josh called them about the book. And, you know, because we, you know, we wanted to be very clear that, you know, Saul was going to be in there. And they speak about him so beautifully. And I, and I told uh-huh. Muriel when I saw her, I said, you won't be upset. I said, she speaks so highly of Saul. And she carried around the guilt of what she did and married him, knowing, you know, and leaving him. She carried that guilt for her whole life. But, you know, but I mean, but it shows like a few things also, mm-hmm. the difficulty of not only being women, but anti-Semitism, yeah. where had she not only been a woman, but used a, a very Jewish last name, how that would have held her back wanting it. Mm-hmm. But also, I thought that it was sort of a level it was a of big integrity. Deal was an, it was a big deal at IBM. She was mm-hmm. known as, like as a divorcee. And People at IBM were always trying to fix her up. They could mm-hmm. not understand for the life of them. I, I met this, there's, there's this really sweet guy. His name is Peter Fox. I love him. Um, he adores Edie. His grandfather worked at IBM and knew Edie. And, you know, he was mm-hmm. a pretty religious guy, lived in New Jersey. And he said he used to come home from work and tell his mother, and his mother told Peter that he could not understand for the life of him how this very attractive Jewish divorcee had no interest in, in getting married and, 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 and you know, being married. Could not mm-hmm. understand it for the life of him. Couldn't understand it. Mm-hmm. I thought it showed a lot of integrity too that she did go to Saul and say, "Hey, you know, <laughs> she didn't let yes. it go on and on and on." You know, oh, and and, and, and also not only in, integrity but how strong she was. Because mm-hmm. she was going to make it and have a career of her own, you know. Yes. I mean, yes. I, thought, yes. I, mean, I mean, which other aspects, I mean, that sort of shows all of these things about her. But, you know, that level of integrity. And, like, yeah. she's going to, when we always talk about people living their authentic lives, Edie mm-hmm. made the determination to live her life authentically as a lesbian as much as, in those times, like she, not like we're now where we can walk all out and sign in and say I'm gay, you know, but as, as openly as she could in those times with integrity that she said, Saul, you know, hey, you know. I know. Edie was tough. Edie was strong. Like, you know, there there's, you know, she wasn't unfair, but mm-hmm. she was very resolute in like her actions and, and what she did and how she carried herself. And that's the whole thing about, you know, marriage, you know, she was a marriage equality ambassador in New York for over a decade. Just like that was what Empire State Pride agenda was about, you know, uh-huh. and she was like, she just could not believe as an American citizen. And she believed so strongly in the constitution and equality and justice. She could not understand the injustice of mm-hmm. her country, her laws, not recognizing her and Thea as a married couple. Like, that's how headstrong she was about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, that that, that, that was, was really, like, that was in her gut. And it was her lawyer who was like, 
Republicans understand taxes. And, you know, and they went after it that way. But, you know, Edie was just could not believe her own country would not recognize her marriage and treat her mm-hmm. unequally. And, you know, and I, and I think that that comes from a lot of her background because often, you yeah. know, it, it um, comes I mean, from her mother, you know, the way she mm-hmm. talks about her mother and her children mm-hmm. could do no wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, and, and living with her, you know, there were times like she would get an award or she would get some, you know, something would happen or she'd get like a really sweet email or something. And, and like she would get tears in her eyes and she's like, I want to call my mother. Like oh. that never left her. It was mm-hmm. so sweet. And I used to mm-hmm. say to her, I go, Edie, I go, Edie, she knows. She knows and she's so mm-hmm. proud of you. But, she, mm-hmm. I mean, it was her mother who gave her that strength that, like, she could do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and, and like you said, her mother might not have said it, but her mother always had her back, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, people don't know. Um, you know, she didn't speak to her sister for 30 years. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they talk about the estrangement between her and her sister, but to get specific about it, they did mm-hmm. not speak for 30 years until Edie went to go visit her when she had dementia mm-hmm. and how, how sad that was for her. 30 yeah. years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that was, it was like that moment, which I think, I mean, which, I mean, there's so many things about it that you relate to because many of us are still trying to, you know, even though we might have said, okay, well, you know, I'm done with this family member, but there is that part where there's that, the possibility of a reconciliation that you want to reach for. And it was like sad that here uh-huh. at this point, her sister had dementia and, you know, it was just like so sad for her, for her. you know, cause you, you wanted things to be right for, for Edie. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what has and, been you know, the, go ahead. What has been the most interesting thing? You know, the book came out on the 8th and I know that, I imagine everybody has been wanting to talk to you about it. You've been really busy. What has been the most interesting thing that you've experienced since the book is out there now? You know, it's, it's very bittersweet for me because, you know, Edie always wanted to write her book. I mean, Edie was a great writer. You know, took, you know there's a, oh, um, yeah. you know, she took some classes. I mean, she was, you know, she'd been retired since like the mid-70s. You know, mm-hmm. so she did a lot of things, and she took, like, this creative writing class, and she wrote a beautiful story about her and Thea, and, of course, like, you know, changed the name. She called it, she just did a T as, as mm-hmm. you know, whatever, but I think the professor knew it was obviously a woman or whatever. But, um, um, you know, it's bittersweet for me because I wish she could, I wish, I wish, you know, every time I go somewhere, I wish it was her that was there, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and... You know, I'm happy to sign the books, and when I sign the books, uh, you know, I've only been in the situation now where I've only signed the books for people that I know, so I always write something more personal, but I really wish it was Edie, and that's why I actually put her signature. We took, I took a whole bunch of things that I saw, you know, for signature, and a graphic designer put her signature under that Don't Postpone Joy. Mm-hmm. You know, in that first couple of pages where you see Edith S. Windsor and in parentheses mm-hmm. Edie. She did that uh-huh. a lot, and so we put that in there because I wanted her to have her signature on this book because she, uh-huh. would, have, she would have spent hours. I mean, there would have been, like, you know, a line out the door of, you know, people wanting to sign her book. So I really uh-huh. wish that she was here. And then what's been intriguing um, or, you know, the other interesting thing is that people are just like, 
you, you feel like she's sitting in the room with you. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, some, you know, some of the stories they knew, some of them they didn't or whatever. They, they feel like Edie's sitting, like, like you said, you know, how you cuddled up on the couch with her, you went mm-hmm. out to dinner with her, you know, mm-hmm. that's what, you know, that's what people say. It's so, just, it's just so personal. It's just so honest that you really feel like Edie's talking to you and just to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Because like, you know, that's the thing that you know, people say that about Edie, that she made you feel like the most important person, you were the only person in the room, you know? And I don't ever uh-huh. say anything or whatever. I'm like, imagine how I feel. You know, like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's, that's how special Edie made you feel. So it's like, that's how special she made me feel. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if, like, I'll ever be able to replace that. I don't know. I don't know. Uh-huh. And, uh, I, you know, I said to her, you know, she t- uh, we were, you know, just joking around and whatever we were talking, and she was like, you know, she goes, you know, because I would say something, and she's like, you talk to me like I'm going to live forever. And I said, oh, <laughs> you, know, you know, it'll be fine, you know, because I, I really did. It, it really, it shocked all of us. I really thought Edie would live well into her 90s. I really did. Uh-huh. And so did everybody else because she was so vibrant and so, you know, out there. And she went out, and I mean, she was just having a ball. And um, so we were really, really shocked when she passed away. I mean, she was, I mean, she was literally up and down there's uh-huh. no in between uh-huh. and um and so she she like we were sitting around and she kind of like looked at me one day and she goes you know you know i really i think you should, you know you should get married again and i said oh i don't know ed i said you know maybe i'll date and stuff or whatever but i don't think i'll ever get married again she goes well promise me you'll always wear your ring and i said oh. no problem i will always wear uh-huh. my ring and uh-huh. um and she goes but she goes i really want you to be happy and i said ed i'll be happy i'll be okay you know, mm-hmm. I think about this now, whatever, I'm like, not so happy. You know, I'm, I'm really, uh-huh. I really miss her. I miss her a lot. And um, but she's like, you know, I want, I want you to be happy and, and, you know, go on with your life and whatever. I said, I will. I'll be okay. I said, but I don't think I'll get married again. And she kind of turned around. And then a couple, couple, you know, a few seconds later, she turned back around. She, and I said, you know, but I don't think I'll get married again. And she turned around and looked at me. And she goes, good, because I will haunt you. I know she was like people didn't realize how funny she was and then when I said that everything that came out of her mouth was so admirable and so interesting and so thought-provoking that like that that's how she was it was so Mm -hmm. amazing it was so amazing wow oh I mean that is so special but you know what I think that I can see anything that you because she missed it. I mean, she talked about, you know, Theo was gone, but, but she missed that. And then here you were. And so I know mm-hmm. that part of her did want you to have love like, like what you gave to her. But, yeah, she's right. going to haunt you. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's going to haunt me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, that kind of hangs over my head. It really, <laughs> you know, it does. Uh, and um, yeah, I don't know why this, is, this story just popped into my head, but, you know, one day, you know, we did, we went through all of her photo albums. So I really have a lot of background, a lot of information um, that I'll be able to share and I, you know, I can share with you. And I remember once I, I saw this picture of Thea, and I don't remember where they were. They, they were somewhere. They weren't at home. And I looked at the picture, and I said to Edie, I said, I said Edie, I said, well, I said, 
I said, look at this picture. I said, Thea doesn't look so good in this picture. Like, she looks like kind of like green, like had a green like tint to it. Like, whatever it was, she didn't look so good. And uh-huh. Edie looked at the picture, and then she just handed it back to me, and she goes, yeah. She goes, there were some tough days. Uh-huh. And that's all she said. Like, uh-huh. Edie never, and she, and it used to, make her angry when people would say, oh, Edie was her caretaker. Edie took care. Like, she was her nurse. She, she's like, no, I was her lover. Thank you. Like, uh-huh. You know, she was adamant. She never complained. You know, and I, and I knew some more in-depth things. And, like, the amount of care that Thea needed was uh-huh. really above and beyond. But, you know, you just don't go there. But um, when I said that to her that day, she goes, yeah, there were some tough days. And that's all she said. That's it. Well, you know, there was one chapter when she talked about how, you know, at night how she did the caregiving for her. But it was, uh-huh. it didn't sound like to me like work or anything. To me, it was an act of intimacy and of great uh-huh. love. Yes, it was. Well, it, it was. Yeah. You know, and you have to think, you know, at that point, Thea was quadriplegic. So from the mm-hmm. neck down. And so we don't need to go into detail, but, like, that took a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Like, that was not a simple nighttime routine. Mm-mm. But it was. It and, was like an act of intimacy, you know. It yeah. just sort of showed. And then the fact that they danced with the wheelchair. Oh, my God. I know. You know? I know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was funny. There were, you know, we had uh, – you know, a couple of people, anybody we saw in a wheelchair, Edie always, like, immediately went over to them and, like, sat on the wheelchair, like how you see her sit, like, sort of, you know, half on the wheelchair, half on mm-hmm. one foot on the floor kind of thing. She always did that with people in a wheelchair. Like, she would go yeah. over to them and just, you know, sit with them like that because she was so used to doing it. Mm-hmm. And it was very natural for her. You know, when we see people in a wheelchair, we just kind of, you know, bend down or do whatever. She sat, like, right on the arm of the wheelchair and just got really, you know, had that intimacy with them. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, I, you know, I saw all of this stuff. There was, just, there was just, you know, and I do, I hope people really pull from this. And, you know, I, I think about, like, couples now who break up so easily or, you know, fight about things. And I'm like, what, is it really that important? Mm-hmm. Or do you really mm-hmm. love each other? Yeah, really. I mean, yeah. Yeah, really, it is. And, you know, and I've been to things um, because within our community, like many people who are disabled say, like, it's almost like they're invisible. But I thought that that part is, like, another, uh, really another important lesson from Edie about uh-huh. being disabled, having relationships being disabled, and how you know, that she wasn't the caretaker. This was part of their relationship. And like you said, you know, people break up for nothing. But, you know, here, this is, this is what it is. And, and how do you navigate that? It doesn't mean that it's the end of it. I know that there are some people where you go like, oh, if I found out I don't know what I'd do, you know. But this is what you do. This yeah. is what you do. So, I mean, like I said, it's like, Edie Windsor is a gift. It just keeps on giving, isn't she? <laughs> I know, I know. You know, and we 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 talked we we talked about it. You know, because you know she was afraid that you know she would have a stroke or you know something like that, and you know, that I would have to be her caretaker, and that really bothered her. I said, Edie, whatever's going to be, it's going to be. We'll work it out. 
Like, whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to be fine. And, um, and, and then, you know, I, I, and I just said to her, I go, but if you had a stroke and, like, you couldn't speak and, you know, be Edie Windsor, I said, I'm not going to prison for you. I said, but <laughs> we'll, we'll figure something out. We just kind of mm-hmm. laugh about it, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, said, I wouldn't want to see you like that. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants, nobody wants to be like that. It's a horrible way to exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the part that that respect when it was like, you know, that she knows how you are because you know how she felt about it and how, how they were. And she didn't want to go, she just said, I don't want to go back to the hospital. That was it. And you know yes. the importance of the quality of life and what you uh-huh. two had. I mean, you two, right. it was like, you two had that communication, that understanding. You were out and about and together that you knew oh, yeah. her. Oh yeah, yeah we we talked we talked about it. We were like we 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 felt like we squeezed like t- two year ten years into two. Like uh-huh. we were, you know, And when I talk about a few of these, you know, these things, you know, most of our life was happy and joyous and having fun and and laughing uh-huh. and enjoying each other's company and you know just going out together and you're doing all these things. We were we were we were so happy. She was so happy. I was happy. Every day was just fun. It was just mm. fun. You know, you know, she was very funny. Like, you know, she was like, couldn't wait to get me out the door in the morning to go to work. But then like two, three o'clock, she's like, when are you coming home? <laughs> you know? Oh. And, you know, I'd come home and, you know, uh-huh. and we just had so much fun and going out together was so much fun. Uh-huh. Like she was uh-huh. just happy and just much more vibrant and talking to people and you know just she just loved it she loved she she loved life I mean I've never seen somebody love life as much as that woman I mean she taught she taught me so much and it's like as painful as it is to be without her like the gifts that she gave me you know and that's why you know fortunately I am very chatty and you know I love uh-huh. to share all these things with people. You know, like, like what I did last night when somebody said to me, you know, either this room is either too old or too young. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not at all. Do you, know? you see a book from you um, with, with I, these stories I, 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 that I, you I, have? People, yeah, people are like, well, when are you going to do your book? I go, I'm not done yet. I, mm. I, said, I have so much more to do. I said, mm-hmm. right now, I'm very, very focused on Edie's legacy, and Edie's mm-hmm. legacy is my legacy. And, mm-hmm. and I'm also very respectful, you know, of Thea's legacy and very protective of her, of her too. Um, I'm close. She ha- you know, Thea's two cousins, Jenny and Petsy. I'm very close with them. Every time they're in New York, we get together. You know, there's things in this apartment that are from the Spire family that they, you know, took when they ran from the Nazis in the middle of the night, and I said, I will pack them up and I will ship them back to you, to Amsterdam. And they were like, Thank, you know, so, you know, I'm in correspondence with them. Um, you know, I, I tell people, I said, I'm not done yet. Because mm-hmm. the, the other question that people ask a lot, and, and I want people to know this, because I don't want anyone, and especially someone from the LGBT community, to think that Edie was this privileged white woman because I've uh-huh. heard it a few times and I haven't been happy about it uh-huh. because people ask, like, what, what was Edie doing after the Supreme Court case? There were two things that were so important to her. Number one, the, 
the kids on the street. She mm-hmm. couldn't bear that 40% of the homeless youth were LGBTQ kids and mm-hmm. mostly trans and mostly very marginalized, poor, you know, those were the two things that we were really working on were the kids on the street and the trans community. Mm-hmm. Like if anybody got helped to be ostracized and shunned from society and not treated as equal, that was Edie Windsor. So she understood that about the kids and about the trans community. And I've had, I've, I've, I've you know, People have said things to me, and I'm like, no, 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 you don't know. I said, that, that is not true. I said, if anybody is going to stand up for trans community, it's going to be the L and the G and the B and the mm-hmm. queer. It's going to be us. And, and we are. We were all down there at the Supreme Court on, you know, the, well, I wasn't there because I, was, I was busy with the book, but, like, I've talked to so many people they're like, we know you were there, Judith. We know you were there in spirit. Uh-huh. You know, we were all there for them. We are here for you. Uh-huh. A thousand percent we're here for you. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, um, I, and, mean, and I just sort of see. You know, and you can, all you know, of here's a, you know that, 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 that's what Edie was so, you know, focused on the last several years of her life with the kids on the street and the trans community. Well, you know, when we see all of these things that are going on now, I can mm-hmm. envision that she would be right there. Oh, you yeah. Know, I mean, as they're talking about, like, things about the Equality Act, her voice would mm-hmm. be right in there with it. I mean, that she would be engaged and involved and pushing, nudging those who are in leadership to mm-hmm. do the right thing, you know, to get on it, to do things, to make change, and to not sit back on our laurels. You know, yeah, we've got marriage equality, but there's so much work to do. Like you said, we still have, you know. That is is exactly what she did after marriage equality. Mm -hmm. She just, she switched gears and went right in and and just, she's like, this, this, it's not over. And that's Mm -hmm. what we, we, that's what we spent time doing. And she spoke everywhere. Um, I remember when, when, when Trump got elected, um, it, we were at my apartment, actually, because we were getting her, um, uh, this apartment painted. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were staying up at my apartment. And so she was just kind of hanging around, and I would come home from work, and I'd be like, Edie, I go, you got you to gotta get out there. You've got to talk to people. I said, people are really really upset and they're, they're losing uh-huh. it out there and and she goes no she, and, and she said to me she goes we've been through worse this is just a blip you know we've we've had worse presidents and worse times we'll be fine she goes they can't overturn Windsor we'll be fine we'll just keep going we've been through worse and after about so this was you know Tuesday Wednesday, I think maybe we went out Thursday night or Friday night, and I kept telling her for a couple of days, I said, you've got, to get, you, you've got to go talk to people. And actually, a friend of mine uh, told me this story after she passed away. That, you know, she did. She went out. We went out a couple of nights later. She did not realize, like, how upset people were, you know. Mm-hmm. And 
a friend of mine came to me and she kind of gave the same little lecture to him that he, she gave to me that she's like, we've been through worse. We'll get through this too. And he, you know, he's told me that story and he goes, and I think about it, it goes around and around in my head, you know, that we'll, we'll get through this too. We'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, but, we've been through uh-huh, worse. Well, but, you know, but she's been right out there, you know, t- mm-hmm. telling that and, and encouraging people to, I mean, the fact that they talk about how many LGBT people are not registered to vote, I don't think that she would not have sat quietly by. I mean, she would have been out there register, encouraging people to get busy, to get to vote. I mean, you know, you just sort of see her her going on. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, what is, absolutely. Every time she got an award and everywhere we went, they usually would have her come up and speak, and she used that as a platform uh-huh. for exactly what you're talking about. This, you know, we have to take this into our own hands, and we have to get out there and do, do our thing. Mm-hmm. She always used it as a, a political platform. Mm-hmm. All right. I remember one night... I can go. Okay. I could tell a million stories. I mean, I remember one night. It was. It was literally. It was. I think the night before the election, or two nights. Or, I think it was. I think it was that Monday night before the election. She got up and she starts speaking. And there's a city councilman, Tom Dwayne. She's like, Tom, stand up. And she started to say to the room, she goes, "We need to focus on all those, you know, states out there. Do you know somebody in North Carolina?" And people are like, "I do. I do." And she's like, Tom, you t- call them up and you tell mm-hmm. them how important it is to Do you know people in Alabama? Do you know people? And she, the whole room was riled up, and that's what she was telling the room. She was like, you call your friend in North Carolina. You call your friend in Mississippi. You call your friends in whatever, and you tell them how important it is for them to get out and vote Democratic. I mean, she was, she, uh, that's, that's what she did. So, she yeah, always I used know that herself you're... as a platform. Mm-hmm. So I know right now, you know, there's a lot going on with the book, but, you know, we're coming into another election year. Do you see that as you're talking about the book, that you're going to use that as a platform, much like Edie would have as far as telling people to call people to get out and vote? So do you see that that the book and you're going around and having people talk to you, are you part of continuing Edie's legacy, but part of the work that you're doing, will that be involved? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, because people do come and talk to me a lot, and I, I, like, I like what I did last night, I'm constantly. It's just, you know, and that's why Edie and I clicked so much. We were, we were very much alike. I mean, we were very, mm-hmm. you know, forthcoming and didn't hold back. And, you know, said how important it is to be engaged in the community and, and attend these events and, and do all of this stuff. You know, you, know, you know, when I see women, especially women, you know, because they, go, they, they always say to me, oh, you know, I go to these events, but it's like it's all the guys. It's, it's, it's uh-huh. mostly men. And I said, well, I said, well, you know, and I'm friends with, you know, I you know, have a lot of guys. I said, you know, I see them, they'll go out to a party where the cover charge is $10, where they can maybe go and meet somebody. But when it comes to paying for $250 or whatever to go to, you know, the center event or the SAGE event or whatever, they're like, oh, no, we can't afford that. 
And I said, well, there you go. And I said uh-huh. to me, if, you, if you're going to meet the kind of person you want to meet, that's where you need to go. Uh, the price of the ticket, it has nothing to do with the, like, you know, the, you know, the affluence or, you know, they're successful in their career or whatever. If you go to those events, you're, you're in the same mindset about your, yourself and your community, and those are the kind of women that you want to meet. Uh-huh. Like any uh-huh. woman can go to a bar or a $10 cover chart, you know, and do that. Kind of, anybody can do that. But if you want to meet the kind of woman you want to meet, that's where you need to go. But they're like, it's all men. I go, there's women there. There's absolutely women there. Uh-huh. Yeah, and if you go, there'll be more women there. <laughs> right, uh-huh. right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's like, how do, how, do you, how do you change it? And, you know, I mean, you have to go. You have to go. You have to show up. You have to be there. Mm-hmm. And, like you said, and you meet the, the kind of people who you want to meet. Right. I've said that for years. Before, before I met Edie, you know, before I got together with Edie, mm-hmm. I, I said that to women. I was like, you know, you go out to dinner and you blow a couple hundred dollars. Like, you know, so... So I don't understand. So if you can do that, why can't you think, think about going and supporting these organizations in the same way? And, they, yeah. and some get it and some don't, and, you know. Uh-huh. And, and what's amazing to me is, you know, they're right. There are, the men get it, but there's also that, you know, inequality and income and all that other stuff. And, you know, the guys are, are wealthier. So, but, you know, I live in New York. Uh-huh. There's a lot of successful women in New York. So yeah, if you were city. to, you know, yeah. if you were to, to to say the biggest lesson that you learned from Edie that you want to pass on to the next generation, what would that be? I, I think this whole, David Mixner, who I adore, tells this beautiful story he was once introducing Edie and he told the story and it has stuck with me for years. And I, I just recently introduced David and I told sort of the same story. If you know David Mixner, you know his love of Africa. He has spent a lot mm-hmm. of time in Africa. And he talked about this Maasai tribe. And in the Maasai tribe, the most noble people in the tribe, the most respected people in the tribe were the great storytellers. Because if they could tell the story of where they came from, they would share that with the young Maasai warriors. And then those warriors would know where they came from and knew their history. And they could fight to protect the Maasai tribe. Mm. You don't know your history and you don't know where you come from. You will have no self-esteem. Well, and that's why I think our history is so important, and you need to know their names, and not just the Harvey Milk or Edie Windsor, but what about Audre Lorde and Sylvia mm-hmm. Rivera? I mean, I, I can go and you know go on and on and on. And I just posted an article recently that you know everybody thinks you know Harvey Milk was the first LGBT person in city council or uh-huh. and he wasn't uh-huh. because we're in the clock you know well some were out and whatever but 
you need you need to know our history, and because we have a very strong history. You know, you That's need to true. know who you need, who Larry Kramer is, who Peter Stale. I mean, I could I could go on and on. Even Lorraine Hansberry, uh-huh. you know, she was daughter of Elida. You know, uh-huh. the whole, you know, there's nothing. Edie was Edie was good friends with uh, Lorraine Hansberry. So it's funny. I had done. Um, I was. I'm at a book club, and we had read this book about Lorraine Hansberry. And mm-hmm. when I'm then I'm reading Edie's book, and they have the name. You know. Uh huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Edie was very, Edie was very good friends with her. She went with uh-huh. her to the opening of A Raisin in the Sun in Philadelphia. And then, uh-huh. you know, Edie, Edie kept, immac- like, like I said, immaculate records and, and calendars. Also, you know, we talk about these, you know, Josh and I would be up at 3 o'clock in the morning going through her calendars, going through her stuff, laughing, crying, doing, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then you'd, like, turn the page and be like, lunch with Lily Tomlin. Random. And same thing. Uh-huh. Well, like, dinner, Holland Taylor. I mean, all uh-huh. these names are in her calendar. She was also, you know, when, I, when IBM sold what was, uh, I the whole background story of the World Wide Web, I mean, she was, she was instrumental in that also. But, you know, IBM thought that was a one-shot deal, uh, you know, one software deal. And, you know, uh-huh. IBM sold the World Wide Web, or what is now called the Internet, to Microsoft. And they went to Bill Gates' estate in California. Who do you think was sitting next to Bill Gates at that luncheon? Really? Yep. It was. Mm-hmm. And so we're turning the pages and we're looking at all this stuff. And it does. It says, you know, Bill Gates, you know, uh, you know California, Bill Gates, um, you know, lunch. Like it, it writes it in there. But I know the whole story about the – she told me how she went out to California and the whole Bill Gates story and all this other stuff. So I, I know the whole story behind it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, wow. and so, like, these, these things would pop up, like, when she would, you know, tell me something about, like, you know, Lily Tomlin or whoever. And I would turn around and be like, Edie, who don't you know? Like, mm-hmm. who else do you know? Like, I would just laugh. Like, when I found out she knew Lorraine Hansberry, I'm like, she's like one of my idols. I fell over. I was the one who, <laughs> who really got Edie to do the interview with, uh, I can't, Tracy is her first name. I can't think of her last name. And they were in this apartment for like eight hours filming Edie. And she was only a blip in the uh, Lorraine Hansberry documentary. But they have eight or ten hours of Edie talking. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. hopefully they'll, they'll revise some of that. That would be, I mean, that is just like, like you said, I, as you're reading it, I mean, like you said, there is Lorraine Hansberry. You talk about, you know, like, I mean, Hillary Clinton, all these people, Bill Gates, yes. who she's been in, engaged with in some way, you know, yes. and this one life, yeah? I, I know. It, it's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, there could be a whole book about, you know, Edie and Tech, you know, Edie and IBM. There's a whole book right there in that whole story, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. and, you know, you have this connection with people. You know, it was interesting when um, we had on National Coming Out Day, I, you know, threw a big party at Stonewall upstairs, and randomly, and, I'm, and I've known him for a long time, Billy Porter, he just sort of walked in, he looks at me and goes, mm-hmm. hey, you know, and we, like, hugged and whatever, and I told him this story. I, I, I got, you know, signed a book, for, you know, I bought him a book, and I signed it for him, and I told him, 
you know, and I've told him that he knows this story. So we, so Billy and I have this, and I, I, I joked with him, I said, you know, now that you've gone into stratosphere, I said, I'm so proud of you <laughs> and everything that you're doing. I said, I've seen you on, you know, Steve, Stephen Colbert. I've seen you here. You just got an Emmy. I said, don't forget us little people. And he's like, girl, don't worry about whatever. But he knows. We have this thing, and I said, I said it means so much to me. Um, the last summer that Edie and I were in the Hamptons for her birthday in Sag Harbor, there's a theater, and I bought her tickets, front row tickets, to we saw Betty Buckley, Lorna Luck, and Edie was a Judy Garland fanatic. When I tell you oh, fanatic, wow. fanatic. Mm-hmm. Um, no, when she came home and the Stonewall riots were happening, she thought it was because uh, Judy Garland passed away. Yeah. You know, that's, uh-huh. that's, that's an underlying uh-huh. thing of the Stonewall riots that they were so upset about Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. And we've met Lorna Luck. We've met her at Stonewall. They had some event there, and she was there, and Edie and I talked to her, and we, we talked about it. Um, but anyway, so I took her to see, you know, Betty Buckley, Lorna Luck, and, and then Billy Porter was the last one in August, and it was on a Monday night. And Billy comes out, and he is singing a song, whatever, and Edie and I are in, like, the front, you know, it's a small theater, and Edie and I are in the front row, whatever, and in, like, the middle of the song, he's like, Edie Windsor, and he, you know, kind of, like, blew her a kiss kind of thing, and it was adorable, and we loved the show, and then afterwards, you know, he sent for us, and we, you know, we went back to his dressing room, and I had really cute pictures of them hugging and kissing. He's like, oh, sweaty, don't touch me. So, it was adorable, but I had pictures uh-huh. of them hugging and kissing, and then pictures uh-huh. of the three of us, and all this other stuff, and then I said, uh, you know, and I, and I said to him that, you know, I said, I, that was the last night that Edie and I, like, went out, and uh-huh. I said, so, I said, Billy, when I see you, I said, that little, you know, I said, you have such a piece of my heart, and he's like, you know, and we, you know, have a little uh-huh. hug and tears in our uh-huh. eyes and whatever, and I said, Billy, you're so, like, you know, it, like, you don't realize how you touch people's lives. Uh-huh. I'm really, I, I mean, I, I said, I said, as Edie went into stratosphere, like you're, you know, like you are now, I said, you know, carry that all with you. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, and to care. know that, that that was the last, you know, before she went and uh-huh. that he was there. How beautiful uh-huh. is that? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's no award. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean I'm, for you to no. share that with them, there's no award that, you know, you can't, you can't put that, you know. Right. Wow. Yeah. No, because he, he knows the story. I've told him before. You know, he, uh-huh. he knows. So, he, like, uh-huh. when he saw me, he's like, huh? You know, you, you know, uh-huh. big hug. And, and he goes, what are you doing here? I go, what are you doing here? <laughs> but, you know, but then the same thing, the fact that he recognized her there in the audience. So, I mean, it's like a two-way thing. You know, when oh, you yeah. give, you get, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was adorable. You know, he was like the way he, like, he just, you know, he kind of like, you know, you know, in his Billy Porter, you know, swagger way, you know, just and kind of came over towards us. And he's like, you know, and just and, and went back to whatever he was singing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, it was great. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, most people recognized her. They don't recognize me as much, but I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, <laughs> somebody, somebody asked me that question that, you know, uh, that, you know, did Edie do this for the notoriety and the fame? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Edie was not looking for fame and fortune at all. Like, not at all. She really, the injustice of it all is what she was after. Mm-hmm. She could not stand the injustice that they treated yeah, I mean- as just a nobody. 
The person she yeah. had spent 44 years of her life with as mm-hmm. nobody. Yeah, I mean, thank you. You know, she didn't do it for the Nora. It was just wrong. No. That's what she said. It, it is was just wrong, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh-huh. it, it was. I mean, because she and, was legally married. And in the uh-huh. state of New York at that time, Thea passed away in 2009, and at that time in the state of New York, New York State recognized marriages from other places, but they didn't have marriage equality. They didn't have marriage equality until 2011. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she was recognized by the state of New York as being married. But she still, you know, and she also paid New York taxes, too. She had a big mm-hmm. New York tax bill, as well as the 363000 to federal. It was like two seventy five to New York State. Mm. Wow. But, you know, but like you said, she did it because it was the right thing to do. She was, and, and, you know, and she did believe in, in justice, I mean, and equality. Yes. And that just, like, flew in the face of everything that she believed in, not only for her, but for others. I mean, think of people who, mm-hmm. who have been together and maybe whatever that tax bill, that affects how mm-hmm. you're going, you know, it's bad enough you've lost your partner, but then how is it can change, take you from living decently to being in poverty. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I talk about that, you know, you know, she was attacked. I've been attacked for being like a rich, you know, white woman or whatever. Um, you know, the taxes were really because they had bought the place in Southampton in 1968, and then mm-hmm. they bought their apartment in 1975. And it was really the growth of those two pieces of real estate that the t- her taxes were the, as high mm-hmm. as they were. You know, mm-hmm. she, she wasn't a Rockefeller. You know, it was really the but inflation. She worked. She absolutely, I mean, both of, both she of them worked. She worked from the time she was, I mean, she was a kid. She, was a, she I mean, she was a, to the, the Atlantic City keeper. days, to all yeah. these other things that she did, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know. I get it. I started working. I turned 16 mm-hmm. over a weekend, and on that Monday morning, I was in a training class at a department store, and mm-hmm. I, I worked all through high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know. I, I, I mean, and, I, and I used to have to come home and work. I worked Thanksgiving. I worked Christmas. Mm-hmm. I worked summer. Like, I never went to spring break with my friends. I, mm-hmm. always, I, I had to come home and work. Mm-hmm. No. And, you know, when Edie talks about, you know, says, you know, when Thea passed away, I, one of the first things she thought about, thought about was she was like, oh, Thea has patients today. I have to call them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both of them worked really hard. Mm-hmm. Thea continued and to see patients and, and, and at the apartment, you know. And, and worked, and, you know, and worked tirelessly, not just at their careers, but also tirelessly within the community. You know, mm-hmm. Edie's like, Edie and Thea are like the backbone of the LGBT center when, you know, everybody gave a thousand dollars to come up mm-hmm. with the money to buy the building and this, that, and the other thing. And then also at Callan Lord, you know, and this was well before the Supreme court case too, because they passed away in 2009. They came to Edie and they were going to open up a uh, mental health facility. It's named the Thea Spire center. Mm-hmm. So this was well before the Supreme court case also. So mm-hmm. there's the Thea Spire Center at Callan Lord. That's a mental health facility. They, they only take people who do not have insurance. 
you, it is very difficult to get in there. Um, even before it was opened, they were book solid for two and a half years. And so they opened while during construction so they could get started. There's, I don't know, 20 or 30, you know, licensed uh, uh, social workers over there. And, you know, every once in a while, like, I, you know, I'll stop in there and I'll just sort of pop upstairs and say hello to whoever at the front desk or whatever. They, and, like, I, I can't even get in. Nobody can, you can't get in there. They wow. have group and they have these licensed, you know, uh, social workers. And it's for people without insurance only. Mm-hmm. And they have a two-year waiting list to get in. But that's the need. And they're about to uh-huh. build a big facility in Brooklyn, and I have been speaking to them and speaking to them. I said, are you going to have a Fee Aspire Center over there too? And they're like, we don't know if we have the space and this and whatever. I'm like, we're, we're going to have to sit down and talk about this. Uh-huh. This is obviously there, – there is a tremendous need for oh, yeah. mental health care in our community, in every community, but especially, but especially in our, our – uh-huh. Oh, yeah a tremendous need i mean and even yeah. when you stop and you think of those elders like what we had talked about who have been really traumatized so much so that even with marriage equality that they still can't say you know. know my spouse my wife my husband that oh my right. friend oh well, i guess it's okay there's a trauma there that you know that you want them yeah. to have have peace and i know imagine that some of them are still wondering Mm-hmm. What happens when they when they die? You know, known people who are doing archiving and history of it, and who still have people. This one guy who's here, he's talk goes to Florida to talk to people who are like in their eighties and nineties, and some of them say, "Well, you know, I know most people I know are gone, but don't publish this about me till I'm gone." That's trauma. Yeah. Mhm. And the other thing I talk about with people, you know, because you know I work with Sage and you know I'm a financial advisor and whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest Ponzi scheme out there is your 401k because what people don't realize is when you pull money out of your 401k after 59 and a half or 70 and a half, it's taxed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been doing what I've been doing for 24 years, and the majority of my clients, when they pull the money out, it goes to charity mm-hmm. because they'd rather have, you know, if they have to pull out $30,000, they would rather give it to charity and not pay taxes on it than take the 30 and pay major taxes on it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of IRA money. And so I've spoken to, you know, I spoke to Sage about it and they did, they did an Edie Windsor um, legacy, you know, campaign. And, mm-hmm. you know, the guy who runs um, Sage, Michael Adams, you know, he, Really, he was like, oh, you know, hopefully, you know, he thought they'd get, you know, a few million dollars. They weren't sure. They did like a soft open, so like, you know, their constituents who are, you know, regular givers and things like that. Within like that for just for legacy planning. So what, mm-hmm. what that means is either, you know, at a later date, you have committed from an IRA account or your trust or whatever that you will give whatever they have raised 30, $40 million because, you know, LGBT, a lot of people don't have kids and they, Mm -hmm. their families haven't been so kind to them. And so they give back. So I talked to all the executive directors. I said, you've got to focus on that legacy planning. It's a big deal. 
Mm-hmm. 20, when, when, when Edie passed away, I changed my IRAs, you know, mm-hmm. the taxable ones, to, you know, Sage, the center, Callum Lord, Hedrick Martin. You know, I changed them all to all the organizations. A hundred percent of that money will go to mm-hmm. charity, and it won't be taxed. Mm-hmm. That's such a needed education piece that our community mm-hmm. needs to know. And we can do that. And because, like I often tell people, these kids who are out here on the street, who are doing the, you know, yeah. even if you don't have biological kids, those are our kids because right. those who are us. And, you yeah. know, and if we want to stop the cycle, we have to look out and take care of our kids. So everything from voting on to, to taking care of this legacy, uh-huh. I mean, it's about the future. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would hope that kids, you know, 10, 15 years from now are doing better. You know, we don't want to see them continue to doing, having the hardship no. that we had to go through. No, absolutely mm-hmm. not. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Um, Edie, Edie used to call, if, if a couple was married and they had kids, she uh-huh. called them all Windsor's kids. She loved kids, and she, it was, all this was very important to her. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know, they just, one day, I guess it was like two weeks ago, they just renamed at Hedrick Martin. And Edie had never been to Hedrick Martin. I introduced her to Hedrick Martin. And she uh-huh. went over there numerous times. It was very close to us. And so she got very involved with Hedrick Martin because it's, it's kids. And, uh-huh. um, and it's a beautiful thing. That, and what she loved was that Hedrick Martin and Callan Lord worked together. They have this bus in New York. It's called the Hot Bus. It's um, Health of Something Teens. I can't remember what hot stands. H-O-T-T. Well, anyway, this hot bus goes around to, you know, Brooklyn, Bronx, whatever, and they pick up these LGBT kids on the, on the street and give them light medical care, and then they bring them over to Callan Lord for more medical care, and then they bring them over to Hedrick Martin and Hedrick Martin gives them food and clothing. They also have social workers over there, job training, you know, so she loved that Hedrick Martin and Callan Lord worked together like that. It was, you know, she just, she loved it. And that's mm-hmm. what she wanted the community to do, be that supportive from everything from, you know, medical care to, you know, and, and Hedrick Martin's called me through the years, and they're like, come on, Judith, we know you have, like, suits and stuff that you're not wearing in your closet. We need them. Because even, the, even if these kids do get jobs, they don't have anything to wear. Mm-hmm. So I, uh-huh. I, Edie and I packed up eight huge bags of, like, shirts, blouses, suits, whatever, jackets, all this stuff, and we, we brought it all over. I, I got out my car. We put it in the car. It was two, it's like two to three blocks from here. Put it all in the car and drove it over there, and there were about three or four of them that met us downstairs and took these eight huge bags of clothes upstairs. Uh, it, it, it's all so important. And, um, uh-huh. you, know, she wa- you know, she wanted all these organizations to be speaking to each other and working together and, you know, finding out what all these needs were. And, you know, till, you know she was you know, in the hospital. She was on the phone with Michael Adams from SAGE because they, uh-huh. they were going to meet on that Thursday. And she's like, I'll be home Thursday and whatever. He's like, you know, why don't we bump it to next week? To, you know, why don't you get to go home a couple of days rest? She's like, no, no, no. Let's, let's still have it on Thursday. Let's uh-huh. have the meeting on Thursday. Uh-huh. She goes, I, I want to see you, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
so inspiring, you know, so mm-hmm. inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and as to what what to do with your life, because not only, I mean, I read that and I, I listen to Red Edie and it's sort of like, you know, there's nothing that says, oh, at this age you have to stop. I mean, that's just it. She was as dynamic and inspirational mm-hmm. in her 80s mm-hmm. as I know some people in their 20s and who was open oh, yeah. to doing it and, and to connecting people. And I think that's mm-hmm. just like another lesson that came, that came out of it. And I, I'm glad, you know, I like organizations that say, I like states because people have, you have energy, you have other talents that you can turn around and give to. I mean, she went through different careers, but she always found a way to give back. And oh, yeah. you're continuing that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, there's sometimes, you know, I go on Facebook and I'll see, you know, random events or something that Sage has or, you know, Hedrick Martin has or whatever. And I'm like, how come they didn't invite me? I would, I would have gone to that. I, I would have done that. <laughs> like, you know, when they have, like, you know, they have things with, like, kids and whatever. And, you know, um, I was like... You know, I would, I, would, I would have gone to that. I, I, you know, it's so important for them to see that you care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I love to show up. To, like, she used to love to show up to things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Uh, this uh, thing was had to One, they got the whole thing donated because they, they, they called this designer. And once they found out who it was for, they got the whole thing paid for. So it was really, they were, beyond excited you know there were mm-hmm. several several kids there and you know how i met i met the granddaughter of damian martin the granddaughter mm-hmm. and uh, i was like oh wow and i was talking to her and you were chatting back and forth and whatever and i said well I, you know i you know i said i think you know i can't wait to read the book and you know i said you know get in touch with me i said let me know what you think and she goes oh as soon as I can get $30 together, I'll buy the book. Uh, I will. I'll get the book. And I was mm-hmm. like, stop right there. I, mm-hmm. said, I, will, I said, I will get you the book. And I did. Mm-hmm. I, bought, I, I bought several kids there the book. Mm-hmm. I think I bought mm-hmm. like five or six of them. And, I, and they were like, really? And I go, absolutely. You know, it meant so much to them. Mm-hmm. And that, but, for somebody, but for somebody to say to me, as soon as I could get $30, I'll, I'll get the mm-hmm. book. I'm like, Oh no, no, no! I said mm-mm, I, mm-mm. I'm getting, I, I'm getting this for you. And Edie and I, we're the same, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, and you know, and, and that's the same. I said it's my, you know? ple- I said it is my pleasure. Mm-hmm. Happy to do it. I said, well, you know, like, like I said, Edie, I've got, I work with the Ruth Ellis Center, and like I already have gotten, um, there's a book from that uh, about Bayard Rustin. And I already have, I got them that set of books. And I said, the next set of books. So I said, well, the next book is this Edie Winter book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, when you first called me, and I, I did, I, I Googled you and whatever, and I listened to the Byron Rustin uh, podcast you did. Uh-huh. I listened to his, I guess, part, yeah, I don't, you know, because did he adopt him? Um, this partner? Because, you know, that was a whole thing, too, that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because back in those days, you know, in order to leave things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did, mm-hmm. did, Byron, did he adopt them, or is that was just mm-hmm. like. No, yeah. But initially, yeah, that's what he had to do because in order yeah, to leave yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought so, because I did. I, I listened, when, when, you, when you called me this summer, I listened to that uh, podcast. I listened to that. 
Yeah, but he's another, you know, he's another hero around here. Uh-huh. You, know, these, you know, we hear these names, but, you know, it concerns me that probably in, in the Deep South, whatever, you know, they, they didn't don't know, know that. They don't, they don't know that. You know, well, and, and, you know, what's also interesting is, like, you know, talk to any of them across the board. They all came from these little small towns, and they all congregated uh-huh. and went to San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York, or, and they went to the big cities. They got out of where they were. And it was so funny, uh-huh. Edie and I had the same philosophy on that. She was, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're, if where you live, if they're not, you know, on, you know, if they're ostracizing you or bullying you or whatever, her response was move. I go, oh, my God, that's what I always say, move. Not everybody can do that. But you, uh-huh. know, you think about that whole that whole generation of men, like the Harvey, Mil- like, you know, they all, like Cleve Jones and all those people. They all moved to San Francisco with just the clothes they had on. They had no money, uh-huh. nothing, uh-huh. and just moved. Well, you know, and I think that it, you know, but we as women, we stay and we make a difference where we're at. You know, it's like because right. women have always had to make a way out of no way. You know, the it, the deck has always been stacked, so we always have to, to like. Dig in, uh-huh. you know, fight, work, and make it happen. And so that's why books like these are so important. You know, I was talking about the Ruth Ellis Center, and I was over there, and they don't teach it. Ruth Ellis lived here in Detroit. She stayed where I was, started her own business, did things for the community, was an out lesbian. But there are kids who go to the Ruth Ellis Center who don't know her story. Right. Yeah. I mean, so we have to. These are the people whose shoulders we stand on, and we have to make sure that mm-hmm. our young people know those stories. Because right. when you say it gets better, those are lessons and, on how it gets better. And that is why it is so important to me to have Edie's name, because you know the place where they, the visitor center at Hedrick Martin is where some of the the kids who come who are like 18 or 20, they take kids up to 24 years old uh-huh. that can still, you know, uh, get, you know, graduate from high school and stuff. And these are the ones that they're giving job training and everything too. And so to have Edie Windsor in her picture, they'll know her story. Or maybe they'll take their phone and they'll be like, who's Edie Windsor? And they'll be like, oh, wow. You know, uh-huh. that, that's why. You know, I don't do this really for fun. You know, it's not fun. I mean, it is, it is fun for me, but that's why I think it's so important. And I love that Thea Spire, like when I tell people there's a Thea Spire Center in New York, they're like, there is? I'm like, yeah. And I, I tell them mm-hmm. all about it. You know, it is like, you know, just don't walk through the door of the Thea Spire Center and not know who Thea Spire is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, when you, like, when you put your, when, when an LGBT organization like Hedrick Martin, like if you don't know, like if you don't know who you know Hedrick Martin, look it up, or or, or uh-huh. Michael Callan and Audre Lord, you know, look it uh-huh. up. And you know, like yeah, I told okay. you that story in Africa, and you know, like when David uh-huh. told me that, like, I it has stuck with me for five or uh-huh. six, you know, and I've told that story numerous times. That the most noble people in the community are the great storytellers. Uh-huh. You got to know your history. Mm-hmm. Well, Judith, you are yeah. an amazing storyteller. We can do this all day. <laughs> well, well, but you know what? What I'm going to say is like, um, 
Let's wait a bit, and then let's get back together and talk some more because I will have, you'll have more stories to tell me, I know. And um, I just, I mean, it, it's been great. I mean, I feel I've got a friend in you. I connected not only yeah. with you but with Edie, but you are just like, you know, you don't know there were days when you just, you know, our little back and forth things just have, have really, like, lifted my spirit. And that that spirit and that fire of Edie keeps it, keep it going. You know, I think mm-hmm. that I am so happy to know you. I am, yeah. The, 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 you know, this, that's what I mean. This, this journey mm-hmm. has been, you know, it, you know I, I had a life before Edie, but, like, this journey has really, it's been a, you know, it's taken me up uh, to another level of uh-huh. just, uh, of understanding, just like the ageism thing, and it just all all of these things that, you know, you, you, you know, you can tell, and and in speaking to you, you have, you know, you have, it has to be just deep rooted in the core of who you are, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then, you know. And, and thank God, there's there's a lot of us out there that are that are like that. You know, not everybody mm-hmm. is philanthropic or you know gets engaged in you know their community or their church or whatever. And there's a lot of people just kind of go about their day and just worry about kind of you know what their family's doing. But you mm-hmm. you have to have it sort of in your in your core. You know? Okay, well, look, uh, I will be talking to you soon. You know, anytime I'm, I'm around. You know, I'll be. If I meet you, you're going to get a big hug. Big hug. Well, hey, we, we've got that. We, that's on, our, on both of us. We've got hugs to exchange, okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We- I hope you've enjoyed my conversations with Judith Kaysen Windsor last week and tonight. Edie Windsor's memoir, A Wild and Precious Life, was released on October 8th. Windsor was the lead plaintiff in the 2003 Supreme Court case which overturned Section 3 of the Defense of Marriage Act and was considered a landmark legal victory for the same-sex marriage movement in the United States. She began working on her memoir prior to her passing and it was completed by her co-writer. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines standing boldly in the crosshairs of air intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.